Howdy, Midnight Warriors, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight, the motion picture podcast crafted in the heartland by two millennial movie buffs. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, one of us will drink heavily and the other will break some backs, all in preparation for our review of Shane Black's comedic pulp noir, The Nice Guys. Then in special features, we will discuss Buddy Flicks, films where two or more characters are thrown into a wacky situation during BFF films. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Well, folks, we're joined in the War Bunker today by a very special guest. He's a fellow Okie and news editor for one of our favorite movie news sites, Collider.com. Adam Chitwood, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So why don't you tell us what Collider.com is and what you do there? Uh, Collider.com is a movie and television uh, news website, entertainment news website. Uh, We do film reviews, interviews, uh, daily news, uh, recaps, all kinds of things. Oh, so okay, so so and TV related. So then, as news guy, what was the big news coming out of today, the day we're recording this? What was the big news? Uh, today's a weekend, so and it's a holiday weekend, so it's very slow. But essentially, everyone is talking about X Men Apocalypse because it's the internet and people want to talk about things. Hey, fans seem to be really enjoying it, which is contrary to at least from what I've read, which is contrary to like all of the critical stuff that came out but i what do you what do you think i've heard some people speculate that maybe they released it earlier to critics just to like get all of that out i think it was very strategic on fox's part to Uh lift that embargo three days after captain america civil war came out so that the reviews could kind of get not only lost in the shuffle but then three weeks later people don't really care anymore yeah So so being a film journalist then does that has that changed your perspective as a film fan in any way uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, just from knowing more about the ins and the outs of the business. Uh, and on some of the films, like X-Men Apocalypse, for instance, I was on the set. So, like, knowing what was going on and knowing what the story was at that time and then seeing the movie and going, oh, they kind of changed that. Now, this is this is a this is a, a, a ridiculous comparison, but whenever I visited Warner Brothers last year, I was kind of spellbound by just how small it seemed compared to what you see on the screen. Have you had that experience being on movie sets? Is it just doesn't it? It's underwhelming scene in person. Have you had that yet? Yeah, it's underwhelming and it's very boring. It's a <laughs> lot of waiting around, uh, sitting and waiting and setting up that shot again. And let's try that again. Uh, but when you're watching Oscar Isaac and giant makeup walking around, it's kind of cool. So and with, and was he just very casual while he was walking around in his apocalypse costume? He's very uncomfortable. Uh, he didn't really talk to us, but uh, he was he was uncomfortable. Apparently, the makeup was not pleasant. Now, have you had a fanboy moment wherever you've seen someone famous or someone that you've been a big fan of for a very long time and you just couldn't speak or you're flabbergasted to be in their presence? Uh, it's tough. I interviewed uh, Margot Robbie on the set of something, and she was just too pretty. Uh, well okay question was that a fanboy thing or was that just it's margot robbie and i i can't contain myself Uh, it was was more the latter okay uh same with january jones uh also a little a lot of fear with january jones but what what was that for uh this was years ago at sundance for a terrible movie called sweetwater okay uh a western but she was pleasant enough. Well, she seems like she could be judgy, actually. Maybe yeah. I've just seen too much Mad Men. But I, <laughs> she, I, she has a reputation, but she was perfectly nice to me. So, all that right, was fine. Also, impossibly good looking. 
Yeah. Doesn't make sense that that's a human being. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. January Jones doesn't make sense that she's real. Um, so you're also a fellow podcaster. Tell us a little bit about your show. Uh, yeah, we do a, a podcast on Collider called the Collider Podcast uh, with my managing editor, Matt Goldberg. Uh, we started it, gosh, three years ago, four years ago. Our yeah, it's got to be at least four years ago. Our first podcast was over the Hunger Games, so that was 2012. Um just as something fun to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So we just get together every week and uh, much less structured and less fancy version of what you guys are doing. Um, and <laughs> just talk. Let's get that on the record, <laughs> folks. That Someone with Collider.com says that what we're doing is much fancier. Hey, Adam Adam Chitwood is pull quotable. So <laughs> it's pull, absolutely. Now, Matt Goldberg is one of the big names in internet film movie geek circles. So tell us a little about uh, uh, something that you told us off mic a second ago that our listeners may not know about him. Well, you asked me if he is related to a certain wrestler, and I said, I don't know, I will ask. <laughs> well, here's the, here's, the, here's the context, folks, is I asked, hey, does Matt Goldberg ever come to Tulsa? Has he ever been to Tulsa? And apparently he has family here. So my thinking, guys, I think it makes sense, is Matt Goldberg, Bill Goldberg, they're both from Tulsa, or they have family in Tulsa, Bill Goldberg's from Tulsa. I mean, it, it's not the craziest thing is, I've said on the show. Bill, is Bill Goldberg's real name Bill Goldberg? Oh, yeah. That's that's the well, come most, on, like 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 that's a stage name. <laughs> well, but the, that's the most boring wrestler name of all time, right? Like, I, I mean, people, even, even thousands like, of people chanted Goldberg. Even Sting is better than that. And as far as I know, Sting isn't his real name. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're we're talking both of the guy that looked like the crow and um, the guy who's great at tantric sex. You know what I would kind of like to happen is about this time last year for our, our longtime listeners is Chris and I had a bet. I, I've been thinking about this. Maybe is, this is, is there... the perfect opportunity. Chris, are you willing to bet? We'll we'll, do, we'll lay out the parameters later. Are okay. you willing to bet that Matt Goldberg is not related to Bill Goldberg? Yes, and and I know what the parameters are. Actually, I've been I've been thinking about this, Hunter, because I this this would be a fun. I had no idea this was happening. You're <laughs> you're you're here to witness this, Adam. Um, I think so. It should be last year. It was whoever lost had to chug a. Uh, line and Kugel Summer Shandy. I think what it needs to be is if I lose, I have to chug a Line and Kugel Summer Shandy. You lose, you have to chug an F5. Fair enough. Just one? Just one. All right. Well, unless, unless you prolapse on your... <laughs> unless and, and then, unless and then, one of us chooses to break the deal and yeah, have to spin the wheel. Yeah, you break the deal and then you'll spin or the wheel. Or bust the deal. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's exciting. So something to look forward to, folks. Um <laughs> So, Adam, what's the final question is, is you obviously don't live on the coast. You're here in the uh, in the Midwest. What's it like kind of living your dream job in your hometown? Uh, It's pretty cool. Uh, It's nice to work from home, uh, wear sweatpants every day. Uh, It's uh, I don't know. I I I have colleagues that work on the coasts uh, in New York and L.A. And uh, I know it can kind of get hectic and bogged down and stressful with screenings and all kinds of stuff going on so it's kind of nice to be here uh especially where i can focus on my job as news mm-hmm. editor uh just keeping a pulse on the on the news and what should be covered what needs to be covered what angle to cover things with so i think that makes it a little bit easier out here well and I, as a fan i appreciate that you're just bringing a different perspective you know yeah. what i mean you're bringing a m- middle of the country perspective sure i will tell you this however is because you have a way 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 cooler job than mine I'm very jealous, and I'm going to be a bully to you throughout this episode That's because totally of that. Fair. I'm sure you get that a lot. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to be the Mark Marin to his. Uh, I can't think of a young guy <laughs> who he was really 
a dick to back but like yes. five years ago. But, but yes, yeah. I'm, Everyone, going to be, I'm going to be a mean girl. Every comedian he ever come Well, it was across. there. Mike Verbiglia had a pretty interesting, or somebody, some, I think somebody was going on. This is back probably like 2012 or so, you know, right as he's sort of coming yeah. up. And somebody had talked to Mike Verbiglia about it. He was like, I'm really terrified. And he was like, well, you're not below a certain age range and you've done X, Y, Z. So you're fine. It's like, he kind of pinpointed, like, <laughs> it was actually this, like, this range of like, if you're a young person who has just seen stardom, like he, he did maybe a couple of years ago, he did Donald Glover. Had he interviewed Donald Glover in like 2011, he would have just obliterated that. Case. <laughs> so in other words, that's what we're going to be doing to you. You, you, that's just a, you. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Adam's a nice guy. Chris and I, not so much. So what do we think of Shane Black's latest, The Nice Guys? Stick around and find out. You're a private investigator? My profession is very complicated, okay? It's nuanced. That is a lot. That's a lot of blood. You beat people up and charge money? Yeah. Sad, isn't it? How much would you charge to beat up my friend Janet? What? How much you got? 30 bucks? That's good. This conversation no is over. The mob is trying to spread its operation to Los Angeles. Somehow, my daughter Amelia is involved. Please, find her. You seen this girl? Who's in it for me? Oh, we can do this the easy way. We're currently doing it the easy way. Whatever happened to offering me 20 bucks? It's the recession. This is a high-profile case. Made the newspapers. Where is Amelia? What the hell's going on? Oh, you know, there's a guy coming to kill us. That kind of crap. Hey, can you behave like a professional? I'm sorry. Shane Black got his start as a million-dollar wonderkin screenwriter in the late 80s, scribing films like Lethal Weapon, The Monster Squad, and The Last Boy Scout. Black's defining characteristic as a young screenwriter was his ability to work within a defined genre while also defying it and injecting his stories with dry wit and that trademark levity. By the mid-90s, however, his cultural cachet had dried up, and no one was shelling out the big bucks for that Shane Black feeling. After almost 20 years in the business and nearly a decade since he'd seen his script produced, Black tried his hand at directing for the first time with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2005. The neo-noir rom-com didn't exactly clean up at the box office, but it slowly garnered a cult following and helped reestablish Black, not to mention the film's leading man, Robert Downey Jr., as viable talent once again. Black's newest pictures writer-director is yet another light but pulpy neo-noir set in Los Angeles, this time in the late 70s. The Nice Guys stars Ryan Baby Goose Gosling and Russell Gimme a Yoo Hoo Crow as a private detective and an enforcer for hire who reluctantly become partners after someone starts knocking off members of the L.A. porn industry. By now, it's clear Shane Black likes to work within his own comfort zone, regularly concocting recipes consisting of three major ingredients, a core comprised of a pulpy criminal element, a hefty dose of humor, and a generous portion of dry banter often executed in the form of bickering buddies. So guys, I'm curious. How does the familiar style and subject matter found in The Nice Guys taste on your delicate film-going palettes? And furthermore, how does the pairing of Baby Goose and Gimme a Yoo-Hoo compare to duos in Black's former features? All right, Adam, as our guest, I will give the floor to you. How do you feel about The Nice Guys? Uh, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was a, a really funny, really smart, Yet another take on the noir genre. Uh, the pairing of Gosling and Crow I thought was brilliant. They work so well together. Uh, and Gosling is 
channeling some crazy physical comedy in this movie. His his like that's that's a thing that actually let's I'll, I'll let you Hunter answer. The, well, yeah, uh, there's here's the thing is. If you've seen a Shane Black movie, this is a Shane Black movie. Yeah, it's and, it's, that, and that's sort of what I'm asking is like, are you? Yeah, it's it's very much a Shane Black movie. It's got great dialogue. It's almost absurdly violent, but not quite Tarantino absurdly violent, but still absurdly violent. It kind of gets preachy towards the end. Gets a little political for my taste. A little pre- preachy, a little political. The plot gets a little convoluted. But here's the thing about a Shane Black movie: is the two main characters have so much charisma. The dialogue is so good, you can look past the kind of convoluted plot. And he's been able to do that ever since *Lethal Weapon*. Yeah. And so that's what you get here. So while it kind of feels like another Shane Black movie, that's not a bad thing. Whenever you compare it to the other movies coming out right now. Well, and convoluted plots sort of part of the pulp genre in a way oh yeah absolutely and uh so i i admire the way that he's able to really sink his teeth into it you know he's he stays true to um to that you know to chandler to that that sort of style but um also makes it you know makes it fun makes it entertaining makes it comedic i mean you you mentioned gosling like the it really the physical comedy is amazing in this his uh, I may one of I was afraid seeing the trailer like a thousand times before it came out that that uh, uh, urinal or the or sorry the stall joke was going to yeah. be sort of played out and it I didn't laugh nearly as much as I would have if I had never seen it before but there was also plenty of other stuff going on um, throughout the film that it didn't feel like oh well we we threw in you know the best bit and and now you know the movie's all ruined and uh, beyond that like I think it's. It's interesting because it's a funny movie, but it's it's not funny, haha. It's not joke funny. It's yeah. not it's not filled with like gags, zingers, and and that sort of. It's it's more like contextual, and which I think makes it a little more rewarding for well, for my. Well, taste. I would and I would say to that point, it's more funny. You and I in our in our episode on Trainwreck, we talked about American comedy. In my opinion, American comedy just it, it seems very rote. It seems deliberately trying to be silly. So I'm curious what you think about this, Adam, is I actually think that this is this is what I want to see out of American comedy, not what we see from, say, Amy Schumer or Will Ferrell. So would you say that this is a better direction for American comedy right now? What a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. And they all are. Comedy, good or bad for America? <laughs> no, no. Uh, the, 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 this style of yeah. comedy. Smarter, uh, you might say. I like it. I like the variety. Uh, this is certainly a, a much drier uh, vein of comedy uh, and like you said very contextual you have to be paying attention the, it's all yeah. about setup and payoff so the setup for the joke may come 45 minutes before the payoff mm-hmm. and if, were, if you weren't paying attention if you weren't like keeping up with the plot then you're not going to get the joke at the end and I think that I think some American audiences want the comedy where they can sit back sip their coke and not have to pay attention like someone falls down that's funny I get it like that's what I want and I feel like that's I, I like the sophistication of Black's humor. I like that it it has to do with uh, with dialogue and with character and with context and isn't just like, oh, this is a joke here. But that being said, I do like Amy Schumer's brand of comedy uh, because it's different. It's a different yeah. kind of comedy. It's a different type of comedy. Uh, and it's coming from a female point of view. Yeah. And we, I mean, we were kind of divided on Trainwreck. I like Schumer. I didn't like Trainwreck because Trainwreck was you know, a train wreck, like particularly like that, that second half kind of fell apart. It's a Judd Apatow movie. It, yeah, it, it is. It, it and that, and that was the problem is, I mean, we had, we had that discussion on the episode is like, I would love to see what happened if Judd Apatow hadn't been involved. And because, um, I think it was with the, an interview with Bill Simmons a few months before it came out, she mentioned 
that, you know, Aftel came in and, and sort of gave her tips. And at the time she was like, oh, you know, it was really helpful. I'd never done a movie before, but you could really feel his influence there. Yeah. Like, so, getting... yeah. But so back to nice guys, we've, uh-huh. we've talked about Ryan Gosling so far. I feel having seen this, having seen, it wasn't a great movie, but having seen Crazy Stupid Love, he was very good in that. And then also having seen The Big Short, I kind of feel like he's, I, I like him better in comedies than dramas. In a like in a like Brad Pitt sort of way, I th- no, I, I feel like I feel like he's stronger in comedies. I like to drive. Don't get me wrong, because I know I know Chris is very fond of yeah. drive, but I think <laughs> that he's a bit overrated as a dramatic actor. I remember when Half Nelson came out, people were saying this is Robert Downey or this is Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver level, and I never felt that. But I feel like now that he's in comedy, this is where he needs to be. This is where I really like him. Do you guys think? Do you think he's equally strong in each? I I like him in. Each, I mean, it's it depends on the role for sure. But like, I agree with Half Nelson. Half Nelson didn't blow me away. I only saw it like, I mean, it was probably eight years ago now. You know, around the time that it had just come out. But um, I like him. I I think he's very good. I think the reason that he's very good in comedy and in something like this is the same reason that I like him in drama. In that, I mean, something like Drive. That's all a physical performance. So much of that is not about. It's nonverbal, and. That if you can translate that into comedy, it's it's some of the best stuff possible because it it's totally like uh, it transcends translation. It transcends uh, language barriers and is like takes a you know just I love physicality. You know that, that that that's one of the things that I love about about an actor. So I I think both sort of balance both sort of inform each other in my opinion. And it's the same with Place Beyond the Pines too as well. I think that's a very physical performance too. But I mean, I think that I feel like Gosling's proven that he can do the brooding and the and the dark and the dramatic and I like seeing this untapped well of comedic potential kind of come up uh especially through the lens of Shane Black, who's someone who's proven adept at at kind of nailing this type of comedy. And I don't think this movie works without Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. To see Russell Crowe playing the straight man there it allows for so much of this physical comedy of Gosling to land. And I think they make a great comedic duo. Uh, and it bums me out that it doesn't seem like we're going to get a sequel because Black, well, Black said he Black wants doesn't to do. like the idea of sequels. He right? doesn't like Unless it's idea. Predators. Unless well, he's it's been, another Predator movie. He's been talking up. He wants to do a, an 80 set Nice Guys sequel. If hmm. like if like the audiences allow it, it would be five years in the future. And or another or how about this? You do a Shane Black cinematic universe and you have Riggs and Murtaugh, you have Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. and then they have the Nice Guys Gay in Perry the 80s. Up. Something like that. Um, but the, to get back to Russell Crowe is whenever Chris first showed me the trailer to Nice Guys, the, my very first reaction was, you know what, a Russell Crowe, an inspired Russell Crowe is a lot of fun because it seems like he, he's he's almost Marlon Brando-esque in this regard is that he's extremely talented, but I don't think he likes acting very much. <laughs> I think he likes fame. I think he likes fortune. He likes food. He looks, let's be frank, he looks like a pinball in this movie. But he, and, he but I think, I think he uses that to his advantage. But he uses well. that to his advantage. But this seems like the first movie in a long time where it's not just a check for him. He seems like he's enjoying himself. Well, uh, apparently, from what I understand, I, I was listening to Shane Black on the treatment with uh, Elvis Mitchell. And he said that sort of the way he's been, he originally came up with this idea in like the late 70s, early 80s with, uh, with a buddy. And then they tried to pitch it as a TV show in the 90s. Um, and then wrote it like I think in like mid 2000 like 2005 wrote it as a as a movie and no one would make it said it in the 70s Ryan Gosling apparently got a hold of it and was like oh I want to do this and then Crow heard that Gosling wanted was doing the Shane Black movie and was like I don't care what it is I'm in 
So it was like he actually like just heard that Gosling was doing doing this and was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want to work with that guy. Well, there you go. Isn't that adorable? That's it's just I, I find it interesting that, you know, I, I agree to some extent, like he does seem like he wants to put in the least amount of effort sometimes when you see him. Um, on screen, but I, I think it works here. So what do you think? Do you think the the duo works? Do you think? Oh, they... no, absolutely. I would say you, you, uh, one of your very first questions was, has this compared to other black duos? You can't really compare it to Riggs and Murtaugh because that's just, that's iconic. But I would say <laughs> that I, as much as I like this movie, as much as I like this duo, I, I'd still prefer Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. I think just because I like those guys better. But it it felt. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, in, in Kisses Bing Bang, it almost felt like there was more to lose because of who who was in it well no yeah like, it was all it was, uh, it was all people on the downhill slope it was exciting and so, yeah for, and yeah. for that reason whereas this is all people who are fairly stable in their careers well and nice guys is arguably these are the two worst characters in the black universe and in, in terms of their i mean in noir fashion like they're the good bad guys so like yeah, yeah they're still slapping women but they're not raping them so that makes them good in the noir <laughs> there, genre there's an interesting I, I don't know, sort of sweetness to some of this though. Like so yeah. that, that opening scene, I was really worried when you see uh, first you see like a kid looking at a nudie magazine and then 20 seconds later, you see the woman from that nudie magazine, like naked in the same pose covered in blood. And like, I, I was like, Oh no, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get on board with this movie. Like I'm not sure. And then he takes his shirt off and like gives it to her. And that like, yeah, that gesture was kind of all I needed to be like, okay, I can, I, I, I see we're, we're dealing in this dark sort of world, but at the same time, it's, it's not totally just reveling in like, oh, look, tits. Yeah. They're trying to do the best they can. And I think it's inspired that Black chooses the hero of this film is neither of these guys. It's, it's the girl. It's right, right. Langory Rice, who's fantastic. There's, there's like three child performances in this movie that are just amazing like her the the kid in the very beginning which he doesn't do much but like yeah. just he has you see him and instantly you're like oh i'm, I'm and he's curious. been in something he looks very familiar he does look familiar i couldn't he was in it's ty that. simpkins so he was in iron man 3 uh okay. and he was oh, also he, he's the the, little the buddy kid? yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah and he's also in jurassic world and that, I was, okay i was go. making this point oh. as well that black is so good with child actors because you watch that kid in jurassic world and you want to strangle him like he's mm-hmm. bad he's not good in that movie mm-hmm. and that's because colin trevorrow is not a good director but <laughs> you, you watch a shang black movie like he's proven time and time again that he can use these child he i don't know he works magic with these child actors and brings something out of them well and chooses that, the right that, people that kid on the bike yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. So, well, so well good. I wonder what being a kid being directed by Shane Black is like, because he seems like one of the guys Shane Black does. Yeah. So I imagine him, he's not going to try and talk to you like a little kid, nor is he going to try and be your buddy. He's just going to come off like a cool guy. And so that probably inspires his directing, whether with people his own age or child actors. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just, a, there's no more proof positive in, and that a director makes all the difference when you look at Ty Simpkins in Jurassic World and then you look at him in Iron Man 3 and in... Well, movie. and I'm glad you said that because we've talked about Shane Black in context of him being a writer and he's a very good writer, but there's a lot of really cool visuals in this film. Yeah. And, and, and I'm disappointed that some of them were spoiled in the trailer, but that's inevitable these days. Yeah. But like the scene of Keith David and <laughs> Ryan Gosling falling off the side of the building, one going in the pool, one. But even like, I mean, it was spoiled in it, but I still, I still got enjoyment out of it, watching it all 
happen in within the film. And, so, then, and then the uh, car bashing through the the house that you mentioned uh-huh. earlier. I mean, it's just there's a lot of really great visual well, style. Here's a good action director, and it's stuff that you know could be really good on a page and be poorly executed in in many ways. You know, in um, in just not having a budget, not. But he he seems to do very well in you know, putting his money where his mouth is as, as a writer and director and really like, um, you know, seeing it through because it's, it's not a chill. Do you know what the budget was on this? I mean, it, it was sort of a, I think it was 50 okay. million. Um, so it's, it's doing period and then mid, you know, mid range. It's, yeah. it's sort of the, the budget range that you don't often see a lot in Hollywood anymore, but he's getting a lot of bang for his buck. It seems um, with some, I mean, just that opening, that opening shot where you come up over the Hollywood sign, you come down, and um, it looked, it looked really nice. And there's being, yeah, being a period movie, like there's never a time when I'm like, oh man, I can, I can tell that this is, you know, all mocked up on green screen or whatever. And I love, I love the little touches, like Russell Crowe living in uh, the the top of the the comedy store. And I think it even at one time, like when he's maybe coming home, you see like on the marquee Tim Allen. I swear. <laughs> no, you did. That actually, I thought that was a little cute. <laughs> no, that, was was a, that was a little cute. It was great. Um, so another question we've we've talked very positively about this movie. One thing that I thought I'm not going to say it didn't work, but near the tail end, whenever it got really, really action heavy, lots of guns going off, lots of bombs, lots of all this got really loud. I almost felt like it lost the humor and the period aspect of it because I was going into this more expectant comedy and then it turned into a full on capital A action. Did that bother any of you guys? It it didn't bother me. Like I felt like it earned it. I felt like, like it earned it in the way that I don't know if you've seen mud, but mud sort of in the third act becomes this like ridiculous gunfight, but I've bought into it so much yeah. by that point. And, and this was very much the same thing. I've, I bought into it so much uh, at this point that it's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to, for you to have fun with this. And it, it's still like, I I get bogged down a lot by huge action and and it didn't it didn't quite do that to me so I I enjoyed it and I thought it was keeping with the spirit of the comedy too because each it wasn't just shootout 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 you had these comedy beats built into yeah. each action that was happening well like when they go up to the penthouse yeah and you're expecting you're expecting a big you know set piece to happen and then it's all immediately um uh it it all immediately dissolves and they just go back down yeah. Um, that, that's a great, like, it's a great sort of breather, um, that, that I feel like all too often you don't see in something that sets out to say, I'm an action movie. Then we'll agree to disagree on the action, but I will say once again, is that I really, really liked the comedy of it. This is the kind of comedy I wish we saw more often. You might say adult comedy. So what, what do you think it says about the state of American comedy that we don't see more movies like this? Well, it's it. I feel like it's kind of disheartening. Uh, this movie got a B minus cinema score, which I don't know if you guys have talked about cinema score on your podcast before. I, we haven't really. Yeah, go go ahead. We and don't tell. care what other people think. So, <laughs> so cinema scores is essentially they hand out note cards on the Friday night that a movie opens and ask people to fill it out. Did you like this movie? Whatever. It's very hard to get a bad cinema score because someone going out on Friday night is got, not going to say I wasted my time. Um, but a cinema score isn't how good or bad a movie is. It's essentially how well it was marketed to the people that are turning out first. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, uh, I Alice- find that surprising though, because I feel like I knew what I was getting going in with, um, you know, with that first trailer that, I mean, that, that initial trailer came out a long time before that red band trailer came out a long time yeah. before this. 
Um, and I felt like it, it laid it out pretty nicely. I agree. And so I was I was kind of shocked to see it got a B minus cinema score, which is kind of low. Like Alice Through the Looking mm-hmm. Glass got an A minus and it got savaged. And uh, X-Men Apocalypse also got an A minus. So like audiences were like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I wonder if this. any of that had to do with it having that stamp of from the director of Iron Man 3. Yeah. I mean, because it it's I mean, I, I think he fit well into uh, playing with Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Iron Man 3 totally like it falls apart in the third act like every Marvel movie sure. um, generally does. But um, I, I think he actually is sort of a perfect guy to, to dabble in that. Um, but I, I could also see if like if you're expecting, oh, a guy who directs a, a Marvel movie, what am I getting into? And then first like two minutes you have just big thick boobs yeah like it could it could set you off a little bit as well i guess people who didn't see kiss kiss bang bang mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. but I, I don't know i was just kind of bummed that this didn't do as well as i was hoping especially with the star power of gosling uh and crow and it just feels like out of comedy maybe american audiences do want that dwayne johnson kevin hart dynamic which not to say central intelligence looks terrible like, it looks fine like <laughs> but it's it but it's just it's only you know playing exa- one type of instrument well and you know exactly what you're getting and mm-hmm. you get exactly what you get like you ordered a snickers bar because you know what snickers is mm-hmm. and you like snickers and so you ate the snickers and you're happy with it it's well, not well and so to, and so to that point what's disappointing about it isn't some isn't simply that they don't america only likes one type of comedy it's that we only want what we expect and it's we only will allow ourselves to taste one type of thing well i mean to and to adam's point earlier it is there is a lot of like what from for my money one of the best things that you can do with comedy is the callback and there's there's a bunch of that i mean you were you yeah. mentioned that earlier there's a bunch of that here but it does it takes some time to build up and it takes some time to um you know to pay off sometimes but those payoffs are if if you're invested are really great. Like I, I love that by the end, like you realize like all of just all of the, um, the jokes about Ryan Gosling getting things incorrectly and them all being about Germany, like that, that specificity is so weird, but so fantastic. Um, and it's, it's just those little things that are, and, and like I said, it's not, it's not exactly a like quotable joke, um, which is like, if you're going for like a Kevin Hart movie, that's, you're going for like, oh, remember the time he said that? Like, yeah. it's it's something else where it's it's almost more difficult to articulate um, back. Like, it's got to be. I don't I don't think you can leave this movie and and go talk to someone and be like, okay, so there's this really funny part where um, he he keeps you know he he thinks a eunuch is is pronounced Munich or you know like because there's just so much context that you have to build yeah. into it. It requires it, that you be an active viewer, and I think for a lot of people, it's just. You know, in the on-demand age, it's too much to ask people kind of like, well, I didn't get it, but I didn't want to have to pay attention. Remember that from 45 minutes yeah. ago. Well, and I, I would, I do wonder if once this hits like HBO or, or something like that, or maybe streaming services, if maybe it will get, you know, kind of because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang didn't do like yeah. gangbusters when it initially came mm-hmm. out. It was only, you know, after, you know, people were like, oh, I saw this movie with val kilmer who's kind of fat and robert downey jr who's not on drugs anymore apparently and it was really like surprisingly great like hopefully i my hope is that it has that sort of uh appeal well Um, and 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 let's let's be fair to it here from a box office perspective is it didn't crash and burn it's done it's done about what its genre does it wasn't well there was actually a lot writing on this because like you said the 50 million dollar movie no one makes anymore so warner brothers took a huge gamble on we're going to make a mid-budget movie that's not a franchise, not like a Blumhouse, like $10 million horror mm-hmm. movie. 
So like they wanted like a 25, 30, $35 million opening weekend, people talking about it. See, but I just, I just feel like that's unrealistic because a, a movie like this, particularly a period piece, and even though Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe are stars, they're not, very few actors can open a movie. Basically just, you know, Denzel Washington can open a movie, but that's about we, it. We'll see so, when the when Magnificent Seven. Yeah, comes well, out. yeah, well, that, well, but in but in any event, so I, I feel like that was just Warner Brothers. Maybe they just had a, a favor to pay or something like that. They wanted this to work, but I feel like it was unrealistic because if you compare it to its its siblings, as it were, its cousins in the film industry, it did about on par. So this just goes to show that people just aren't seeing these movies anymore. There's an art house audience, and then there's a big movie audience and there's just increasingly not the middle ground that middle ground's watching tv so so what what i would like to take out of this at least is listener if you if you have not seen this movie go out and see it you'll you'll have a lot of fun it's it's a it'd be a pretty fun date movie i think well and more and uh, hollywood studios will start making more movies like this and that's yeah. what matters and uh okay so one more thing is you guys have talked a little bit about the potential of a sequel would you rather a Nice Guys 2 or would you rather Shane Black do a different Shane Black movie with a different duo? I mean, he said that he could do detective stories for the rest of his life. So I trust yeah. that he could come up with another good detective story with Nice Guys 2 and I'd be totally down for it. Because we've seen him, you know, dealing in like we've seen Kiss Kiss McBang and Nice Guys uh, in that kind of lower mid-budget level. I'd take Nice Guys 2 in addition to The Predator. Uh what I really yeah, want Predator, to see is Predator will be interesting. See, yeah. I didn't know that it had the the uh, indefinite article in front of it. I thought it yeah, was Predators. Or wait, it, Predators was the other one. It was, yeah, uh, it was, my mistake. The Predator. As of now, it's called the Predator. Uh, but I really, what I really want to see from him is Doc Savage, which is uh, yeah. based on these pulp. Is, is know, this 1920s. happening? Is this actually happening, or is this like a rumored? The script is done. Uh, he needed a very specific actor for the role because Doc Savage is a very big person, uh, and that actor is Dwayne Johnson. So he's waiting for Dwayne Johnson's oh schedule to clear up. Bra effing O. Yeah. So gentlemen. if it if it happens, if it fits in his schedule, they're hoping to shoot next year. So oh that's why he's man. doing the Predator this fall. Well, Chris, I think you have your answer, but what do you want to see from Shane Black next of the <laughs> of the nice guys or duo picture? I mean, I, I was gonna I was gonna go with something else just because I think. We haven't, he hasn't run dry yet. And that was, that was my ultimate question is like, has, has this thing that he seems to like to play in, uh, dried up and run its course? And my, my answer would be no. Uh, like, like you said, Adam, um, I, when I was listening to him on the Elvis Mitchell show, he, he said the same thing where it's like, I can, I can write these, you know, until the end. So, uh, these, these noir pulpy, um, stories and, and he's quite, quite good at it. He's got, I, I think he, um, you know, you see so many people that try to adapt Elmore Leonard and fail because they miss like the the voice and and what makes you know that that balance of uh, comedy and darkness. And I, I think Shane Black, you know, he's not he's not making Elmore Leonard things, but he's making things that are adjacent that have that same sort of feel. And I'm I'm yeah, totally fine with him continuing to. Uh, to do so. So Hunter, I, I, I'm going to pose a question to you just. Well, here, let me, let me answer what, what I want to see from Shane Black first is one of my favorite kind of styles of movie is witty banter between smart guy and smart woman. It's the Bacall and Bogart, Mm -hmm. Hepburn and Tracy Hepburn and Cary Grant kind of thing. You really don't see that anymore. I think the last one I can think of was the tourist and it wasn't any good. So it's just you, something you mean, that you mean Golden Globe nominated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Comedy it's or musical. The tourist. The yeah. The, the point being is just that Hollywood can't seem to make these movies anymore. I think Shane Black is probably too macho and too much of a guy's director to pull this off. 
but I would like to see him if he's going to do another noir. I want, I'd like to see a Bogart Bacall, smart guy, smart girl kind of movie. I, I think he could pull it off. I mean, just look at the way that he handled the daughter here. I mean, she's, yeah. she shines a lot. I mean, and if he was totally just like a macho man's man, he wouldn't be able to pull off that character. Or Michelle Monaghan's character in Kiss Kiss. I feel like she's a nice twist on the, the femme fatale. Yeah, mm-hmm. on, the, on the femme fatale. Right, I think well, he could, you- he could totally handle like a Thin Man remake. I think that hmm. would be. Mm-hmm. I would. Hmm. I would watch yeah. that. Or Maybe not with Johnny Depp, since no, uh, not with Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Okay, Chris, you had a question for me. Yeah. Um. It's it's the summer movie question. What was your favorite part? Um. It was in the trailer, but the part wherever Russell Crowe shows up and beats up Ryan Gosling. That's just great. It's it's great dialogue and, and it's comedy. Extended, and it's great physical comedy. Yeah. It's extended. Seeing it, seeing it in its full like having the air to it is is even better than in the trailer. It's one of those things wherever you learn everything you need to know about both of these characters within three minutes. Mm-hmm. And, those, and those are the best types of scenes. What about you, Adam? Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's a, it's a setup payoff joke that's set up in a, uh, a dream sequence. And okay. the payoff yeah. for it is yeah. glorious. That, that was, that was really nice. And it was, I had forgotten that it was a dream. Yeah. So initially I was like, yes. <laughs> and then it's that, that's, yeah, that, that was really good. Subverting expectations. Yeah. Mine, mine, I actually put in my, my script. It's, it's when Russell Kroga, just after your favorite part, he's going out to his car and, uh, the daughter is coming up and he's like, uh, she's like, you want a Yoohoo? And he's like, you, you got Yoohoo? <laughs> and then but that, and then when you see him with the case of Yoohoo going up to his apartment, just like, just killed me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, best comedy is to have a tough guy, a legitimately tough guy who likes something childish. Yeah. Instant comedy. Well, Chris, you mentioned Yoohoo. Uh-huh. Is that your, would, Yoohoo mixed with some sort of beer or Yoohoo <laughs> infused beer? What are you going to be drinking? I thought of that. I actually, I thought long and hard if I wanted to do a chocolate stout to tie into the Yoohoo. Um, I went a different direction though. Um, someone had suggested that I'm on a bit of an IPA kick lately um, after the past. And I, I went back and looked and it's only been the past two films, but uh, the past two pictures I've paired with uh, Indian pale ales. So I figure it's summertime. I like IPAs. IPAs are a great summer beer. So I'm going to keep up the uh, the tradition at this point. And I'm going to recommend what is classified self. I, I believe this is a self-proclaimed classification as a triple IPA. Um, and this is high res. This is actually one of the few times that I am drinking the beer that I'm recommending right now. Um, this is high res IPA from six point brewery in Brooklyn, uh, New York. And it's a, they say it's a triple IPA. Really, really it's a double. It's a 10.5% ABV. Um, and it's you, you Hunter made fun of me last time when I, uh, uh, recommended the, Oh, it was, it was the defender IPA about, you know, saying it has a bit of a floral, uh, floral <laughs> I love that uh, word. aroma <laughs> to it. So I'm, I'm going to change up. This is, this is in the same, you know, the same family, but it's, it has, you know, a little bit of grapefruit and pine aroma, um, off the top of it. This is, and this is a, uh, really hoppy IPA. This, this thing comes in at, uh, 114 IBU. So I'm, I'm gradually, I think I'm probably, uh, near the limit of where I can go from here because the last one that I recommended was the F5, which is a hundred and a hundred is the, or a hundred plus, I guess is what it says on the can. hundred is the barrier for what you can even taste in bitterness. So this is, this is a little beyond that, but it's a really well balanced beer. It, um, you know, it's brutally bitter up front, but then, uh, it's kind of brilliantly balanced on the back end there. You still have, um, a nice multi finish to it. So it's not, 
it's not something that's going to linger like like chewing on rubber bands um, in in the back of your your palate. Uh, so that's the uh, high res from Six Point Brewery, and uh, I recommend it with the nice guys. Does it really have anything to do with the nice guys, or it's just the floral? You wanted to say floral again? I no, it's uh, I, I justified it because I'm on this IPA kick. It's right. uh, and I guess I mean be, being a triple IPA, uh, Ryan Gosling is a alcoholic in this film, and so this will get you drunk quicker. Well, hot dog. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the nice guys is currently playing at theaters nationwide. Please see it so they can make more movies like it. And if you have seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Well, stick around, folks, because we'll be back after the break with listener feedback and our special features topic, BFF Films. Midnight Angel Blue-eyed baby You're the queen of my afternoon the perfect melody I got nothing but trouble baby you got nothing but time so we got two hot speeding for a good ride well midnight warriors you've been filling up our mailbag lately so we'd like to share some of your thoughts on our Captain America Civil War review and our special episode dedicated to Top Gun's 30th anniversary. We'll start with some feedback on episode 37, Captain America Civil War. Chase wrote in with some insight about Chris's allegiances in Captain America Civil War. Chase said... Yeah, Ch- Chase is very frank here. His, uh, he opens with, Team Iron Man? F*** you. In Liberty, Chase. You know, what I like about this is it's almost a haiku. It, it's nearly. I counted it out. It's not exactly, but it feels like a haiku. it's an American haiku. Uh-huh. So thank you for that, Chase. And f- you, uh, you know, I I would like to justify that. I think I I went Team Iron Man because I think his his side is a little more complex than just like I want to sign the Akovi Accords and and be a stooge. Like I think he was a little he he had a long game going, and I mean ultimately you see like even though he signed it, he doesn't go along with them. Here's the thing is. When you look at your team Iron Man and then you also consider that you hated Rocky, I want Chase, I want to hear what Chase <laughs> thinks about you hating freedom because I think there's a running theme here. I, you you know, you've prompted him. He probably will write in now. Chase, please write in or whatever you need to do to let us know. <laughs> Chase, I'm with Chris here. Team Iron Man, f- you. Ooh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, man. Captain right. America and his poor buddy Bucky killing <laughs> people. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, guys, he's super sorry. Can you leave him alone? We haven't seen each other in like seventy years, <laughs> but trust me, like he's cool now. You got it all out of his system. All right. Well, in Top Gun review, which I unfortunately missed, Brett, an Air Force pilot stationed at Hulbert Field, hit us up on Twitter to point out a clever coincidence in Chris's pairing of a Top Gun with a Coupe F5 IPA. Brett wrote. Fun fact about your beer recommendation of Coupe F5 for Top Gun. The F5 is the fighter that was used to play the MiG-28 in the movie. And this actually, I, I knew this. Last time I had seen the movie, I watched it actually with, with Brett and then with a guy from uh, in the Navy, and they sort of fielded questions about authenticity. I didn't make the connection on, I, I should have hired him as a consultant. 
for the episode. Well, and what I love about this is Hollywood is so phony that they can't even get the right plane. They have a different plane to play something else. Well, I mean, it's an American plane to play, you know, yeah, I'm sure yeah, you had- at that time they're not going to they're not going to be like, "Hey, can we borrow a MiG-28 for like 2 months?" Please. And finally, Max called in to punch up Jake's volleyball metaphor. Yeah, this is Max here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was listening to the Top Gun episode and Jake made note that if you had changed the setup from a war movie to a sports movie, that it would work the same and had used the analogy that football, it would have been the same. Uh, he missed a really good opportunity to make the joke if it was volleyball. If it was a volleyball movie. Love volleyball. <laughs> so, uh, Max, Max there with a, a bit of a dry uh, voicemail. I, a good point, though. I, I think we really did miss the opportunity. I mean, we go for really cheeky um here's the thing here. had i been here that would have happened you would have yeah, yeah you, that, you would have that, definitely that would have been made um has there ever been a volleyball movie is the thing I, I, you know we talked a lot about disney original movies on on the episode as well if there's ever been a volleyball movie i would imagine it would be a disney original well and let's let's just tell like it is isn't top gun kind of a volleyball movie anyway isn't that what people remember about it <laughs> that's yeah i mean i i think if you ask people who um, we're unfamiliar with it. They would be like, yeah, they're, they're naked and there's volleyball and they're sweaty. So and that, yeah. So there's our response to uh max is it already is a volleyball movie. So there's no reason recategorizing if, it, but maybe when they remake it with, because they've, they've been saying for years that there's going to be a top gun too. Maybe when they remake it, it'll be more heavily, you know, they will be a volleyball crew who decides to take up uh flying. Well, he's except he's older now. So maybe it should be golf. Well, no, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be the coach though. He's, he's going to be he's Tom the, Skerritt. He's the, yeah, he's definitely going to be Tom Skerritt. He's the volleyball coach. Well, thank you for your feedback, Max, and everyone who sent us something. Yeah, whether you're hating on Hunter. Or correcting Chris. Your feedback is always welcome. So give us a shout on Facebook or Twitter at WSAMPod. Drop us a line at hello at warstartsandmidnight.com. Or ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. All right, here's your pitch. Two dudes with competing views are forced to put their differences aside and team up to save the day. Hey, Hunter, are you describing our show? Of course I am, Chris, but I'm also using very broad strokes to describe the subgenre known as the buddy flick. The buddy flick is a perennial favorite for both the film industry and film goers, and the reason is simple. It is so easy. Buddy flicks are like scrambled eggs. You'd have to be an idiot to screw it up. All you need is two charismatic leads, one wacky situation they must overcome, and if you're feeling spicy, maybe throw in a baby or a dog. That's what our show's been missing. A dog baby. But this is Hollywood, after all, where nobody knows anything. So just because the buddy flick is a stupidly simple concept, that doesn't mean it can't deliver simply stupid results. Today, Chris, Adam, and I will talk about what makes a good buddy flick during BFF films. Is combining two charismatic leads really all it takes? Or do the true masterpieces have something more? And for that matter, what buddy flicks are truly terrible— you know, like that guy who hangs out in your group that you don't really know all that well and he's honestly kind of weird and annoying, but you don't want to be mean so you don't say anything. You just kind of put up with him until one day he asks you out to lunch and you have to come up with an excuse not to go. So finally, you're forced to fake your own death only to awkwardly run into him at the bar later and be like, oh, hey, man, I got better. You know, that guy. Yeah, that guy. So, Chris, what would you say is your favorite buddy flick and why is it your best friend film forever? Okay, so I'm really I I kind of made up a list before I read your script, and I'm I'm really proud of this one. I'm going to say it's some like it hot, the uh, Billy Wilder film, where you know uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon have to 
dress up. You know, you're, you're describing really wacky thing. They, they have to hide and dress up as a woman after witnessing basically the St. Valentine's day massacre. And they join this traveling women's band and, uh, hilarity ensues. And in the end, um, gosh, it's been what Tony Curtis marries a man, right? No, Jack Lemon. Is it Jack Lemon? Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's nobody's uh, perfect. Don't worry, Chris. Nobody's perfect. Exactly. Thank you. That's uh, that, that's a great save. Um, but just a sort of, it's Billy Wilder at the top of his game, you know, doing, he's, uh, he's a director that I, re- I really love because he's sort of, he did so many things. He did so many things well, but, uh, really the, you know, the quick rapid fire, dialogue that he has just the the way that he puts these characters in these ridiculous situations but is able to make it seem still uh believable and feasible is is quite a feat and lemon and curtis are just wonderful against each other no absolutely what what about you hunter do you do you have a favorite you know what i'm gonna be a basic bro here and say lethal weapon i mean I, i feel like that was the kind of there's that would be like the bc the the bcad moment as far as buddy flicks is right. that is you had it's almost like you had buddy flicks but no one realized what they were and then lethal weapon came around and for all intents and purposes created the genre because for instance you had the stain 48 hours yeah you had 48 mm. hours you had the stain which is fantastic you had butch cast and sundance kid but that it, it's not like they really knew that they were buddy flicks per se they were just right. whatever their genre was lethal weapon for all intents and purposes, said this is a buddy flick. This, this is a genre that that is repeatable, that is mimicable. That said, I do really like the stain. So the stain is is yeah. a, a close second. I, I actually had the sting and uh, and Butch Cassidy together on my my list of some that I that I picked. Up. I mean, I just and that that goes to more like the chemistry of Redford and Newman on screen for me. Like I would watch them do pretty much anything, and just their you know their chemistry, their back and forth is is spot on perfect. Well, and how sad is it that it was one of those things that was always anticipated there there would be more, and they mm-hmm. tried to work on more, and nothing ever happened. I because you look at like Jacqueline and Walter Matthau, another great duo. Right, they did several together. I think it was up to eight, nine, ten. But uh, they made 10 grumpier old men. Yes. ten grum- If only, if only that's another seminal moment in the buddy <laughs> flick is both is both grumpy old men films. But um, it, yeah, it's just kind of sad, especially in their later years that Paul Newman and Robert Redford never made another picture together. Yeah. I mean, but Paul Newman wasn't doing too much in his uh, in his golden years. He was too busy making dressing. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. But there's honestly, have you ever seen, this isn't a buddy flick, but there's this one movie called nobody's fool. Um, there's nope. nothing cooler than old Paul Newman. There's nothing cooler than Paul Newman. Period. Uh, okay. But the only thing cooler than young Paul Newman is old <laughs> Paul Newman. You look at Paul Newman in the verdict. You look at Paul Newman and nobody's fool. There was the one with Sally Field. I can't remember the name all of a sudden. But he, where where do you place color of money, Paul Newman? I mean, that's that's that's, not that's quite old. Older, that's, no, that's, getting, that's I think that's old Paul Newman. It's, if he's, but it, but if it's he's like gray that's, haired. That's where he crests. That's like his loss in translation uh, in in getting into the old. And that's a, and actually that's another buddy film. Now that you mention it, that's a good buddy film. A weird, a, a weird choice, but yeah, yeah, in, in a say, way, I would say that's a buddy film. Okay, so Chris and I have been uh, man crushing on Paul Newman as we're apt to do on this show. So, Adam, what what is your favorite buddy flick? Do you want to go classic or are you more contemporary like me? Uh, I don't know if I have a, a favorite picked out right now, but I am tempted to to go with Fight Club as an hmm. alternative choice. Uh, but on if I'm being honest, I genuinely feel that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of my favorite buddy flicks. I feel like the rapport between Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmore is kind of unmatched in the modern era because you have the you have Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of stream of consciousness kind of flying off the handle and Val Kilmer just treating him like he's 
insane, but also, you know, I'm going to manhandle you. Well, mm-hmm. and what I like about that combination, too, is you wouldn't think that Val Cameron would be able to play the heavy. No. You know, he he, he was he always seemed more actory throughout throughout the 90s. He, you know what I mean? Whereas Robert Downey Jr., he he I wouldn't have thought that he could have been that wiry either. So is in many ways it's almost a rediscovery of both of those you, guys, you despite being a drug you, addict. You, despite, would think, you wouldn't think the guy that's driving down Sunset Boulevard naked firing a gun out of his convertible. <laughs> he hadn't be. done anything up to then though. He hadn't done anything up to then. He was up you know, his uh his big claim to fame was Chaplin. Yeah. Right. So he hadn't he hadn't demonstrated that aspect of his personality yet, and now he's translated that in some ways to the Tony Stark character and become a multimillionaire several times over as a consequence. Right. So thank you, Shane well, Black. Yeah, and that's, I mean, when, when I brought it up in the intro, I, I actually had a little bit more. I mean, I think Shane Black definitely, or, or Robert Downey Jr. definitely owes something to Shane Black in, like, where his career went and, and kind of setting up, you know, setting up his ability to be cast as Tony Stark. And it couldn't have been more perfect. Now, here's a weak entry in the buddy flick genre, and you you wouldn't think it was. It's... You have Mel Gibson and you have Robert Downey Jr. So you would think, oh my gosh, this this there's no reason why this should be bad. But it was it it wasn't. I have crazy. no idea what you're talking. Air about. America. It came out. It's a well. Here's the thing about Air America. It came out in the early '90s. Uh, it, it's one of those things wherever Mel Gibson was at the height of his stardom is kind of him giving a lift, as it were, to Robert Downey Jr. But it wound up as opposed to being a buddy comedy, just kind of a depressing Vietnam movie. So you think that that you think that combination would have worked much better? I know nothing about this movie. Well, tell, me, tell me more. This I'm, is Man Without a Face era Mel Gibson. Exactly, okay. Man Without a Face era Mel Gibson. I'm, it's it it couldn't decide whether it was a buddy film or a a war as hell kind of film, and so it wound up going okay. more in the war as hell direction it, without really earning it. Because like I said, it was set in Vietnam. But we're, I guess we can kind of get into this as buddy films we'd like to see. I would like to see Robert Downey Jr. use his star power now to pay pay his buddy mel gibson back because mel mm. gibson did a lot for robert downey jr when he was on the down and outs for him to do a buddy pick with mel gibson how, okay give me what, what would be the context of that how would they what would the relationship be two guys in aa so <laughs> two guys in aa this is this is a documentary that was a, that was my rorschach answer like uh-huh. the, the very first one that popped in my my head but uh, you know uh, i'd be cool with a detective movie too yeah I, I mean i think there's a lot of possibilities for it. i still you know I don't. I don't think Mel Gibson's totally. He's down and out, but I don't think he's totally out. Like I'm waiting for that next, you know, Mel Gibson resurgence. That I, I hope it's not a like Taken sort of thing, where, right? Um, where he gets into some weird, like another. Uh, you know, he's doing something completely different, but it's just a hole where that's all he can do. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to see another good Mel Gibson movie. It's it's been too long. He's got uh, Hacksaw Ridge as a director coming out this year with Andrew Garfield. Oh, it's, really? Uh, so it's a World War II story, uh, and Andrew Garfield plays uh, a real-life uh, World War II veteran. I can't remember his name, but he was a conscientious, conscientious objector, uh, and he refused to bear arms. But he was a medic, and he ended up saving, uh, I think it was like 75 lives during this battle. And so hmm. Andrew Garfield plays this character, uh, Mel Gibson directs, and that comes out. Later this, this year this sound, that sounds interesting that's kind of antithetical to what you think of when you think of mel gibson yeah. directing uh-huh because he's so violent so i'm very curious to see how violent this film is right. and with the themes of you know this guy who was like i'm not going to carry a gun but i'm going to end up saving all of you anyway so. interesting so adam what about you do you have any like dream combos that you would like to see in, in a buddy film I, i've i've had one itching ever since i saw irrational man i need to see parker posey and emma stone in a movie together um, hmm. I, I, I liked irrational man more than a lot of people did, but, 
uh, the, I feel like the rapport that those two actors had together was, was tremendous. And I just had the need to see them. <laughs> well, and that's, that, that's something. a good answer because kind of looking through the pantheon of films, the buddy, the buddy film is usually more of a male genre, but I would argue that one of the seminal moments in the entire genre would be Thelma and Louise. Okay. Yeah. I, I wondered if, if we were going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, um, that's, that's, that's a really good point. And something that I wish that would, I would love to see, you know, I, I know we've had so much talk about Ghostbusters and, uh, the, uh, can women be funny and all of this? I would love to see a good, uh, a good women, a female duo. That's not like looked at as, because I think with, uh, with Thelma and Louise, people weren't saying, oh, well, it's a, it's a female buddy movie. It's just, it is what it is. You know, it, it almost exists outside of that pre- uh, lethal weapon world where it's just it is that but it's not playing into it or being being self-aware of it okay crazy and this isn't a buddy comedy it's a buddy film is how i would say it is you have meryl street playing margaret thatcher and then you have helen mirren playing queen elizabeth ii because <laughs> you don't really know a whole lot about that history i would like to see that <laughs> what what do maybe they it do? could be maybe it could be well it's no it, be, it's, it's like what it, like during the falklands war or something like that i just those two interacting no, i think mu- that'd be great mu- much better as a buddy comedy i think or just yeah they have to get cross country because one of them's about to give birth or something like that if you want it to be a comedy but um yeah. that that's that's a pairing i'd like to see as them as those characters okay i've i've got a one that it, it's sort of similar to yours like it was brought on by something um that i had seen but it's it's something that i know will never happen but um, I have always since I, I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head there. It was like uh, maybe season three or four of Mad Men. Um, it's the New Year's episode and uh, Lane and Dawn basically spend New Year's Eve together and they get drunk and they go out on the town and they um, they go to a movie and and Lane, you know, is yelling at the, the, the movie screen. They just sort of cut loose. I would love to see a spinoff. Uh, it, would, it would probably be a TV show. It would probably be a half-hour TV show. A spinoff that's just uh, Dawn and Lane, best friends forever. Just, uh, you know, going around 60s New York, uh, you know, tearing up the town, doing whatever. And, they, you know, you never see them go back to their family. Never, you, only, you never see them at work. You only see them in context of hanging out socially on the weekends. So in, okay, so in this scenario of yours, what happens is it, it's almost like a, a break in the dimensional tide wherever Lane doesn't die, Don doesn't do his thing. It's just they, they fall in love, as it were. They have a bro fall in love, and then this is what the – it's a different show almost. It's, it's a different or, – or just, you know, it fills in. It's sort of like this is going to get really weird, and I don't know if you're going to follow me here, but it's like uh, there was a Cowboy Bebop movie after the series ended that is placed somewhere in the middle where it doesn't exactly like it, it takes place not you know not before not after but somewhere in there like this would this would exist there so probably after i think the that new year's would function as the start of the bromance and then functions up until his death See, I disagree with you there. I prefer to think that they'll just always have Paris, as it were. It's just they'll always have that. They'll always have that one moment. So it'd be the most nihilistic comedy on television. It would be great, though. I would, I would love it. I would and watch like, it, but it would be so depressing and sad because they're just the saddest men on that show. But, but the way that they, I mean, there, there was something somewhat optimistic in that in that episode. The way that they like, it was sort of like they were for for one night. They were just giving up on all their baggage. And, and Lane had like, as you sort of learned later, like had a lot of baggage that you had no clue about. Um, 
but you know, just, just cutting loose for an evening and it would be just sort of like that, you know, detached a little bit, but yeah, you're, it probably, it, I mean, knowing if Weiner is involved, it's going to go dark places. <laughs> All right, well, let's try and lighten it up a little bit. We we talked about buddy flicks, but let's just talk about duos in general. You know, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, that that kind of thing. What do you think it says about, do you think there's a case to be made that with some buddy flicks or buddy duos that it's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Uh, I, I think it depends a little bit. I, th- I I mean, I think there's a case, it's a case by case thing. I mean, I think Newman and Redford, Newman and Redford are great independently. And I, you know, I'll... More, I guess, more Newman than Redford, but I'll watch anything that Newman's in, um, no matter when it is, what it is. But there is something to the chemistry that that works really well that you don't really, I guess, you don't really get when they're apart. You know, it's like they Newman never had that same uh, energy with. Well, while he was still energetic and still lively, he never quite had that with anyone other than Redford either. Right, they were just good dance partners, as yeah, it were. They yeah. they were capable on their own. So so maybe I'm going to reverse and say, yeah, maybe you're right. There is a one plus one plus one equals eighteen, as it were. Yes, the cowboy bebop math, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, one person who never, you know, they tried to do it, but it never really succeeded. Who never really had a great buddy film. You who you would think would is Clint Eastwood, hmm. and that disappoints me. You think he was so? in he was what? in a movie with Charlie Sheen, a buddy. It was a buddy flick, buddy com, and I can't even remember what the hell the name of it was. It'll occur to me later. You're really dead. No, but you would think that that, that duo would check, be great. Folks, check the show notes for whatever this- For whenever uh, Hunter finally realizes- this what, dumpster fire re- Remembers what the name of this movie was. <laughs> but, I mean, I would have liked to have seen Clint Eastwood with somebody else. Like a Will Smith, like uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. That was a great mm, pairing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he would have to be that, like- the, the grounded guy, the guy the who just doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Although he's maybe a little too much. Like, I don't know if he would put up with someone else. Like he, he would be, they would, it, what it would be is it would be the opening scene and then be like, now we're stuck together. It's like, nope, not dealing with it. I'm <laughs> leaving. Yeah. Have you seen Space Cowboys? I feel like that's like the lightest he can get. No, in, I haven't. In terms of with. Yeah, that's the lightest he can get. And it still had to have Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones. There's your buddy comedy. Yeah. There's your buddy comedy, ladies and gentlemen. I would watch gentlemen. that. They're, they 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 reboot Grumpy Old Men. Yeah. Yeah, Crazy Old Men. Okay, well, <laughs> actually, okay, that's as good a transition as any. Arguably the greatest buddy flick duo in film history, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was about those two that worked so well together? I mean, it just seemed like they were fun dudes, or like, you know, they were dudes who were friendly in general and had just had fun. I mean, it's, it's sort of like what you see with the Seth Rogen, Rogen, Evan Goldberg group, except, uh, more digestible. Mm-hmm. If that, you know, much, like, much older, more and more malleable. They could, they could work in. Well, more just context. like, I mean, you, you can see them more because I like, you know, I, I like that group and I like, uh, you know, taking in the whole, and I guess it's also the Jet Apatow universe um, as well. Um, I like all those guys, but I've reached a point now where I'm kind of tired of seeing them together all the time. Um, if that if that makes sense, like, but they're doing the same sort of thing where it just seems like legitimately a lot of times it's just uh, it's it's just Matthau and Lemon having fun together. In a setting. Well, and to that point is, I don't really think either of them, they were different. It was, it was the quote odd couple, but it wasn't black and white. It wasn't yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think made it work. So let's, let's introduce that idea is 
Do we think that usually it has to be two completely different characters for it to work, a Tommy Lee Jones and a Will Smith, or can it work just as well whenever it's a dumb and dumber situation? I, I think it's more difficult in that situation. Where they're both similar? Yeah. Because then it relies on them both being being able to work in tandem and because you have yeah, I mean, because you have built in uh conflict when they're not when, when Well they're and, and like I said at the beginning, it's so easy. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's the and that's what I love about the genre is it is it is easy and so because the base is easy you can get creative much yeah. like an omelet much like a scrambled egg okay I've got something this this might kill the conversation but I'm gonna say what do you guys think about the uh, the J J Abrams ridden Gone Fishing with uh, Joe Pesci and uh, uh, why can't I Danny think Glover. Danny Glover I've never seen it. Um, you would think that that's a movie that that's, I would have that's seen. That's right up your alley. Yeah, Hunter. you would think that's a movie that I would have seen back in the day, but I've never. But you know what? I'm going to say what I like. I like Joe Pesci and Danny Glover's interactions in the Lethal Weapon series. So having never seen this movie, I love it. I, I, I just, I'll just already answer that having not even seen it. I have not revisited Gone Fishing recently. That's that's funny a, I, enough. I liked it as a kid. I loved it. Like there's and and that's sort of where I want to keep it in a way. Yeah. So you haven't seen it since. Yeah, no, I, I probably haven't seen it since I was like 13, maybe. Okay, Gone Fishing, that inspires another thought of mine is, what if it's a buddy comedy wherever they do not like each other, they're not buddies, they and they never really do like each other until they're forced to. For example, a great outdoors John Candy and Dan Aykroyd situation. So it's... They're not even really planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's another example. Apparently, John Candy and insert nobody likes character. John Candy, <laughs> which is a shame because he's brilliant. That, and by the way, folks, that'll be our uh, next podcast. Nobody likes John Candy, where we uh, <laughs> where we just review films where John Candy is buddy. Uh, that, yeah, that's a dream come true for me. <laughs> well, and I feel like the the butting heads until they become friends is is an easier way to do it uh, in terms of of pairings i think it's like harmony so when you know when they're more similar it's harder to get that it's harder to make it sing and make it really uh sore and i do think it's strange that we haven't had many great do like we haven't had any many great comedic duos recently well let's talk about that what do we think the, the reason for that is then uh the rock's just taking all the roles <laughs> <laughs> well and and more than that it, it just feels like they're not repeating like you have duos that team up and are successful like you look at the heat with melissa mccarthy and sandra bullock and it was great and but sandra bullock didn't want to do a sequel and that was it mm-hmm. and actors don't seem to be working with the same people i mean you you talked about the seth rogan evan goldberg universe uh like they pop up in each other's films but it's usually different combinations and it's not exactly a pairing i think the closest pairing is probably rogan and franco but I do mm-hmm. feel like Rogan and Goldberg have started to kind of carve out a different corner of the comedy universe away separate from Apatow. I don't know if you guys have seen Neighbors 2 yet. Not not yet. And I like when when that trailer came out, I was excited to see it. Like I I enjoyed Neighbors. Like I was surprised by Neighbors. And I thought the trailer for this looked like good enough for like to justify a sequel when most of the time it just seems like, yeah. oh, hey, and, you know, it seemed like it was more than just like now it's women. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know if they, if that pays off, but, um, no, I, I'm, I am intrigued to, to see it. I don't know if I'll make it out to the theater. Well, it's very much, uh, I mean, it's comedy with purpose. It's a, it's a film that is actively feminist and that's the point of the movie and that's kind of what they're that's, driving that's, it. That's interesting coming off of where sort of the, the frat the first was. One. And, yeah, well, yeah. and be, because they directly address stuff from the first film that like, Hey, that was sexist or Hey, that wasn't hmm. funny or that wasn't as funny as it might be now, but 
more to the point, it seems like Rogan and Goldberg are kind of more into the comedy of ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and going after stories as opposed to and comedy in general nowadays, as opposed to like take actor X and actor Y and put them together and box office explodes because that doesn't seem to be happening too often. You'll get it with every now and then like Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. You pair them up with someone and that's how studios make money. But that's pretty much the only there aren't any repeating did, did, duos. Did that Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart movie print money? It did well, okay. I think, well, I think I think what he's saying is if you do Kevin Hart with somebody or yeah. you do Will Ferrell yeah, yeah. with somebody. So like that, Will Ferrell and, with yeah. Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell with Amy Poehler, and right. then Kevin okay. Hart with gotcha. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wonder if if just the fact that back in the day, Hollywood was a, was a very much an industry town where people knew each other, they were friends. And so, hey, we're buddies. We drink together. I want to make a movie with you. Well, and there, there was also sort of the actor was almost a commodity that you – it was a blank and blank movie at that time. And, and we've talked a bit on the show about like, you know, there aren't the like A-list big stars where it's just like someone's going to go see a movie because so-and-so is starring in it. Like – Maybe you, you, you still have that a little bit with Tom Cruise, but it's not, it doesn't have the cachet that it used to have. Or we, or we mentioned him earlier, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington's got a built-in yeah. audience. And even though The Magnificent Seven, as the name implies, is about seven, I'm really looking forward to seeing the dynamic between Denzel and Chris Pratt. And actually, I hadn't seen, he. I can't even remember the name of it, but Denzel was in a movie with Ryan Reynolds. And it was a it was a really hard action, safe house safe house and so it was a, it was as I understand it was a drama action movie I think those two in a comedy or or a Shane Black style comedy action comedy would do well together yeah I, I would I would love to see Denzel in a noir style thing I mean like he he hasn't done anything like that recently that I can think of I mean he did like Devil in a Blue Dress back in like what like mid to late nineties um, and that that was a little more serious but uh, he could he could pull it off and I who would you pair him with. I guess you would pair him uh, with well, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds, or Chris Pratt, or if you, or if, yeah, well, if it's a Shane Black style thing, then yes. Now, if you're going full dark noir, then I, you know, a female actress, and I'm not, it, I'm not sure yet. What about what about uh, Rebecca Ferguson? That would work, yeah. I, yeah. I think that would be. I, I've been. I'm not sure. Been, I'm not, she's very charismatic, and she, but I'm not sure she's at. Well, I know she's not at his level. If there's somebody who's at his level, I think that'd work better. I think she could pull it off. I really do. In, I mean, I've, I granted, I've only really seen her in, uh, uh, I want to say ghost protocol every time I want to say ghost protocol, <laughs> um, rogue nation, but she, I mean, she really held her own. Well, there. she was in Hercules, Dwayne Johnson and Brett Ratner's <laughs> Hercules too. So if you guys want to do that, no, I don't <laughs> can't, can't fit that in the schedule. Well, I think the three of us have just about exhausted ourselves on buddy films, but we want to hear from you. What is your favorite buddy flick and why? And then also tell us the buddy film that you want to see the two actors that you just really want to see work together. So just let us know at hello war starts at midnight.com. You know, Hunter, I can't wait till uh, Sylvester short shorts writes in with his, uh, his buddy pick. You know what? Given given the quality of the feedback we've gotten lately, I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. Well, I want to see some prime Hunter and Chris hating in this in this response. Gosh, you're you're all about the the hate mail. All right, folks, we'll stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next.
right, Hunter, we've made it to recommendation time once more. We talked a lot about buddies, buddy movies. Do you have anything else to recommend or are you, you going to take a left turn? Actually, it is a buddy film. I didn't even, I was going to recommend it anyway, but then it occurred to me, yeah, it actually is kind of a buddy film. We are in summer. By the time you listen to this, folks, Memorial Day would have passed. We are now in uh, the summer season. So what is more of a summer movie than Jaws? This is kind of like your high-res IPA, mm-hmm. except this is the this this is the very starting point of summer. The, this is, is Jaws. This is the lethal weapon of the, of the summer some, blockbuster. Yeah, we'll put it that way. But at the same time, it is a buddy film. It's it. You've got Roy Scheider, you've got Richard Dreyfuss, you've got Robert Shaw, and I mean, it, it, based on the criteria that we set forth of what qualifies as a buddy film couple of guys with different personalities facing a wacky situation mm-hmm. i mean jaws would qualify as a buddy film well and honestly has one of my favorite buddy moments of any of any film when they're all like in the hull of the boat right sharing war stories showing scars yeah it will so beautiful, well and so when perfect. you also consider that just I, I imagine that line of dialogue was two or three pages long and mm-hmm. robert shaw delivers it flawlessly so um, I'm not really sure it's a, if it's. A, I don't think it's available to stream or anything like that. But here's my answer to that. Yeah, I, I why think it's available you, to rent. Yeah, it's available to rent. But why don't you own Jaws? I mean, that's that's the larger question. Why don't you own Jaws? Why do you need to rent it? So if you, so what I'm going to say is, all of you who own Jaws, rewatch it this summer. I might do that uh, this weekend. Yeah, I mean. I, I, I was I was driving past a lake today, and I thought of Jaws, and so that inspired and then that inspired me to choose this. All right, well, uh, Adam, what do you got to recommend? Uh, I'm recommending less a buddy, more of a team. Uh, it's a TV series called The Americans. It airs on FX, uh, and when it's done, you're all going to be sorry that you didn't watch it when it was on air. I, I've been listening to Adam say this for years, folks. <laughs> uh, it's a, a critical darling, if there ever was one. Uh, it seems like the only people who rave about it are TV critics. Uh, and, uh, the only thing that has a smaller fan base among TV critics is The Leftovers, which is me and like two other people. Um, but, uh, the Americans, uh, is on its fourth season now on FX and the conceit, uh, takes place in the eighties and, uh, revolves around this married couple, uh, played by Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese, and they are Soviet spies. So they have been implanted in, implanted in the United States years before, uh, they have two kids biological that were born in the United States. Their kids don't know that they're spies and, uh, they have missions and things that they're dealing with. But at heart, this show is, uh, a portrait of a marriage. And through the lens of of the Cold War paranoia and these missions that they're going on, you're seeing this marriage kind of dissolve and come back together. And it really reflects uh, just kind of life uh, as a family and what's going on. And, and it's really brilliant how it does all this through the prism of the spy conceit and uh, kind of the breakdown and the fallout. And it's incredibly tense and uh, has some of uh, kind of the most – emotionally upsetting and uh tense moments i've seen on television in a long time uh just recently got renewed for two more seasons which will be its final two seasons so fx is letting it uh kind of go out on its own terms but it's got really brilliant performances by russell and matthew reese uh and a great kind of supporting team that comes in and out uh and it's surprising to see kind of how it all works and it's very true to life and very factual the the showrunners dive into a lot of stuff and and there are some really surprising things you kind of learn about how the kgb operated during that time uh in america and around then but uh like i said at heart it's a portrait of a marriage and uh really is one of the best shows on tv right now uh and probably of the decade so far so uh i think it's available right now to stream on amazon prime uh i would suggest you catch up 
uh, at some point within the next year because uh, it's it's a very good show. Maybe maybe this will be the year that I <laughs> that I do. I've I've honestly like I've been listening to you on the I guess it was the what Collision podcast, yeah. not the the Collider podcast. Recommend this time and time again, and it's just one that's like been on my list. But series are always like tough to like they are yeah dive into, but. Uh, ne- next time I have an opening, maybe, maybe this will be, this will be it. And it's a show like Breaking Bad that, that tends to get better with like each season is better than the last. Not hmm. that any seasons are bad, but the first season is, I like the first season. It's good, but it takes a little bit to kind of fall into, mm-hmm. but it's very clear from the outset that this is a show about a marriage and not necessarily the spike and seat. Although the spike and seat is uh very fun and thrilling for the show. So, you know, if you're dismayed by the first episode, stick with it. It's not bad. I promise. Okay. Interesting. I I will I will try it out at some <laughs> point. Okay, so I've got I've got something to recommend that it was was a bit of a war crime for me up until last night. Uh, I just caught up with it. Um I just want to read a little bit of a review from the the time when this came out in 1979. Um this is these are a couple little snippets. Uh said this movie has all the emotional uplift of Mein Kampf. This this reviewer said and also said that uh it should be a special favorite of rapist, sadist, child murderers, and Charles Manson. Um, and so this movie, it might surprise you, is uh, George Miller's Mad Max, the original Mad Max from ni- 1980, I believe came out here. And um, I was I, I watched these all out of order. I think I saw uh, Road Warrior and then Beyond and then uh, Fury Road and then Beyond Thunderdome and then finally Mad Max. Uh, so it was a little weird to kind of go back backwards and see exactly where it all right but this is a series that it doesn't have to be seen in order except well, for road warrior and mad max but otherwise it's just it's all the same universe i would say well and i, I think even road warrior and mad max you can separate i mean there's because there's things in in um in, like you don't it doesn't necessarily need to be informed there's i mean i think there's it's the same thing with like road warrior and fury road there's little things then like you know he's still um, there, there's the, the shotgun bit or the, the no, no bullet and shotgun bit. There's tons of things like that, but you don't need to know them to, to enjoy it. And so, uh, I, it was, it was interesting to see like exactly where it all came from and exactly like, it makes me appreciate George Miller's vision that much more. Um, you know, because it's a bit of like this exploitation car racing movie, um, something, you know, more something like a Corman movie from like a decade earlier or something. It, it sort of feels like, um, you know, it had, it had a pretty small budget. I think up until Blair Witch Project, it was the highest, uh, or the most profitable, profitable film of all time. Like it grossed over a hundred million dollars worldwide and was made on like half a million Australian. I don't know what the, the, uh, conversion is there, but, uh, just taking a look at exactly, it seems like he put every single penny into it and had, um, just a, a real broad vision and a really, really great execution of it. it's, it's a little hokey, like the middle it's, I, I guess it sort of mirrors, um, beyond Thunderdome in a way where like the bookends are really great and the middle gets a little goofy. Um, like when he decides, Hey, I'm going to quit the force and go be a family man. Um, but still like, I mean the, the opening like 20 minutes of this movie are incredible. Um, just really well-directed action, really well, like, and, and the, you know, everything with the cameras, the way that, you know, he's got cameras low and on the ground and, and motorcycles and stuff flying by. It's just, it's really gorgeous, really fun, really energetic. Um, and a, uh, 
a film that's uh I w- I was a little worried going into it and I I really enjoyed it despite like some of some of its goofiness, some of its hokiness, some of its uh, Australianness. Yeah, that and yeah, movies Australianness. That's that's really a mark against it whenever it has a lot of Australian to <laughs> well, it. It just it has it has some of that weirdness that then becomes even more prevalent in later in the series where I mean like when you get like Lord Humongous in in Road Warrior. Um, yeah, it's, some, it's, some he's that, like, not as he, yeah, exactly. He's not as confident in his lunacy. Yeah, in the yeah. First but, one. but you get you get touches of. It. I mean, like, there's one point where he goes up to. I think it's when he goes to uh, quit the force and he goes up to his captain or whatever, and it's this like big bald mustachioed man who's like watering plants shirtless on like the third floor of the uh, like Hall of Justice or whatever, and it's just like what what the f- is going on right now, but. I'll, yeah, sure, I'll buy into it. Interesting little bit of trivia. The guy who played the main bad guy in Mad Max, also the guy who played the main bad guy right. in Fury Road. Right, Till Cutter and uh, Immortan Joe. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. So would you recommend someone sees Mad Max in in the out-of-order arrangement I you mean, did? I mean, I think the way that, that Miller, you know, plays it all out, it doesn't matter what order you see it in. That's sort of what I love about it is, like, they inform each other, but they're not... They don't have to be informed by each other, which is really refreshing in a time when everything seems to be leading into a universe, a cinematic universe of it's all interconnected. Like it is and it isn't. And that's what's great. All right. Terrific. And how are we going to find this? Uh, you, I, I watched it on Amazon Prime and it's available to rent elsewhere. Well, Adam, thank you very much for being on the show. How can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Adam Chitwood uh, or on Collider. Um writing stories every day <laughs> well right on thank you very much for being here and we uh hope to have you back soon sure yeah come to collider and tell me how wrong i am about everything just yes like he all lo- the other commenters <laughs> he loves hate mail too I'm, you love hate mail as much as i love hate mail <laughs> yes I'm, I'm gonna tell you how wrong you are but only in gift form Is that's that okay? fine okay well that's a wrap for another episode of war starts at midnight check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes weekly movie recommendations and more you can say hi to hunter on facebook or me on twitter and instagram at wsam pod And if you love the show, rate us, review us, or subscribe to us in iTunes or your podcatcher of preference. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. Because once again, if you're listening to the show but not rating and reviewing it, you're a freeloader, and nobody likes those. On the other hand, if you're just the trolling type who's been hate-listening through these credits, please, please tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. And if you're a narcissist, and you probably are, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Shout out to a band of nice guys for the music on this week's show, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Find more at drewholcomb.com. Join us in another fortnight as we discuss Colin Farrell and the dark comedy about a crustacean, The Lobster. Thanks for listening, folks. Sayonara, suckers. Goodbye. Goodbye. Do a Zodiac-type goodbye. Goodbye.